1: Today, we're going to have a little fun and talk about how you can set your e-commerce brand up for long-term success. Joining us is Jack Haldrup, who is the founder and CEO of the Dr. Squatch Soap Company, which is an omni-channel e-commerce brand that sells high-quality handmade products for men who live demanding lifestyles. Prior to his role leading Dr. Squatch, Jack was an agile product manager that developed systems for clients ranging from multi-million dollar e-commerce companies to large defense contractors. And today, Jack is going to tell us about how he developed a targeted e-commerce brand. Okay, here's our interview with Jack Haldrup, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Squatch Soap Company. Jack, welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks, Ben. I'm excited to join you today.
1: It's great to have you here. I have to say that I was bumping into your website. It was actually introduced to me from Adam Weiler, who has been on this podcast a couple of times. He is an Amazon expert. And I was looking through your content doing a little research for this episode. Your content is hysterical. I love how you've positioned your brand. I want to hear all about it.
2: Thank you. We like to have a little fun.
1: Yeah, it seems like it. I'm a recovering bro. And I think that now that I'm a career professional and a married man, maybe I'm targeted in a little bit of a different way. But before we get into what Dr. Squatch is, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into running a soap company.
2: Very randomly, I have a background in consulting and a little bit in tech. And I read the 4-Hour work week, became obsessed with this idea of taking more control over my life, starting a business. So That just kind of coincided with me going down this rabbit hole of learning about nutrition for personal health reasons and personal care products. So all this came together about six years ago, and I decided to start a soap company and to specifically create a brand around selling soap to men.
1: What was it about the four-hour work week and studying personal health that got you to decide you needed to create a soap brand specifically?
2: A couple of reasons. One was specifically the product itself. So I started using soaps that were made out like farmer's markets. And it was like a level up experience for me in terms of how my skin felt and just like being in the shower. And I know that sounds kind of funny, but it was true. And there's also wasn't a ton of barrier entry to starting a soap company in terms of like initial capital, formulating the products, stuff like that. So I wanted something that I could do while I still had my full-time job and it fit within those parameters.
1: Okay. So you were still working as a consultant while you were getting Dr. Squatch off the ground. Was the product developed first before you started thinking about the brand or how did that come together?
2: It was coinciding. I mean, one of the biggest things I did is I just told myself that like, during the week, I was going to work every day until 10 PM. So I, mean, I had my corporate job and then I was just going to work until 10 PM until I launched the business. That was just the mindset that I was in. The brand itself, like the idea for what the brand was going to be was in my head, but it took a little time for it to conceptualize into like this Sasquatch character, which eventually became Dr. Squatch. It was more kind of just thinking generically like soap for men. And if I can own that keyword phrase, then like I'm going to dominate the soap market.
1: So, you had the idea that you were going to target men. Did you have any other areas of focus? Were you thinking younger, older? Tell me a little bit about that sort of intuitive targeting that was built into your head?
2: Yeah, I think intuitively, a major advantage that I had was that I was creating a product that I wanted to buy myself, so for one thing that you couldn't just go to, like I was buying search at the farmers' market, they felt a little like maybe girly or flowery, something like that. And I didn't really identify with any of the branding that was out there with other soap companies. So from that aspect, I didn't have to guess what my customers wanted. I just had to build something that I wanted. So I think that helped me answer some of those initial questions.
1: So basically in your product research and also just in your personal investigation you realized that there was a gap in the market because there wasn't a brand that was specifically building a product for men or doing any branding for men. What was it about some of the branding experiences from the competitors that you feel didn't fit with men and people of your age and people with the same concerns that you had?
2: I mean, how many guys that you've ever talked to where they told you about what soap they're using? um zero. It's not super common, right? So I don't think a guy would go out of his way to go buy some like handmade soap at a market. <laughs>
1: I do think that there is some targeting towards men, and specifically, my mother-in-law buys me Kiehl's soap and Kiehl's products every Christmas, right? So she knows that that's a brand that resonates for me. And as much as I joke, the typical macho man probably isn't running around talking about what soap he uses, but I do think that there are brands that target men. I think that there's the American Crew brand, there's Kiehl's, there's Jack Black. There's some stuff that's out there. Yeah, but it seems like you still felt that there was a gap in the market.
2: Sure. So two things. Number one, most of those brands, maybe outside of Kiehl's, are not really focusing on natural or even quality. I would say they're focusing on maybe an experience. And I saw a lot of, at least from my perception, like pretension in certain men's grooming brands. Like you have to be this perfect guy, or that's the image that I got from it. It didn't seem very like approachable or like interesting to me.
1: That's interesting. So now we're actually getting into the branding where you're thinking about what your brand is, which is meant to be approachable and natural.
2: Correct. So from our brand perspective, something just a little bit lighter and more fun that has an underlying value behind it. Like in terms of the quality of the product, it's healthy for you. It's better for your skin. But we didn't necessarily want to lead with that or only focus on that because we didn't think that people would find that very interesting.
1: So as you were developing your brand and you realized that there was a gap here, there is a subset of products that are out there that are targeted towards men, but you felt that they were meant to be more aspirational and not necessarily focused on natural products. So you figured out what your product positioning was going to be. What was your process for developing the brand and coming up with your tone?
2: I would say it just came naturally which is maybe not a great answer. But it's just been iterative over time. It wasn't like a big decision where it's like, this is exactly what we're going to be. It's just creating content seeing how people respond to it. And you want to have a gut feel like where you're going to head. But it's basically just a process like that. And I mean, if you look at our website from six years ago, when we started versus some of the content that we put out recently, I think maybe in my head, I thought that that's what we could do or where we were going. But the reality of what we were producing wasn't there.
1: So you had a North Star in your head and you were working your way towards that direction and modifying based on some of the signals you have when you actually created and launched your content. So essentially you had a little bit of an agile development method for your brand development.
2: Correct. And I can give a more concrete example of that. So one aspect of that is when we first started, we were super focused on the natural aspect. I think we focused a lot on like ingredients of the product and like where it's sourced and how it's made. And then over time, once we learned more about our customers and we got more feedback from them about what they actually liked, we changed some of our messaging. So it doesn't mean that the natural aspect isn't important to us, but we found that that was the secondary thing.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. So, you built a customer feedback loop that allowed you to pivot your brand or slightly pivot, modify your brand messaging to go a direction that satisfied the people that were buying your products. Talk to me about how you took in data from your customers. Was this just people writing you emails? Was it product feedback?
2: Yeah, both like anecdotally, and also we did try to approach it with data. So, we did some surveys on our website. We have like an account page. People would go there and then we would ask them questions. So it was a specific process actually formulated by this guy named Sean Ellis. He's a growth marketer. And it's like a product fit survey. So the first question you ask people is, how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use this product? And you want people to say either disappointed or very disappointed. And then you ask those people specifically some questions about what they like about your product. So you're kind of getting your best customers.
1: All right. So you're taking in customer feedback and you're trying to understand who are your best customers once you've launched your product and you're pivoting your messaging there. How are you gathering data about who your best customers are? And what are some of the targeting profiles that you're building? Are you looking at age, behaviors on the website? Are you looking at job titles, purchase size? How do you figure out who your best customers are?
2: One thing that was really helpful for us is, basically pulling that data down from our e-commerce platform and actually mapping it to Experian data, which is like credit card-based data. So that allowed us to see some interesting things. One was that I think something like 60% of our customers were married. Another big one was that we were able to map their locations. So you're able to see, based on population data, how much order volume we were getting. And the reason that was interesting was because... If you just go look at your order history and you export it, most of your orders are going to be from New York, Texas, and California. That doesn't really tell you that much. But if you can look at how, what's your order frequency compared to the actual like relative population, that gives you some more interesting information. And what we found was that we under trended in places like New York and LA, and we over indexed in a lot of secondary or regional cities, like maybe Sacramento, California, or Lexington, Kentucky. So I think that that told us a lot about who our customer was.
1: So tell me what you actually think about who the customer is based on what their geography is. If they're in these secondary urban metros, Lexington, Kentucky, Sacramento, you know, they're in the fifth biggest city in California. What does that mean in terms of positioning and branding?
2: It's an indicator. So I don't think that it's holistic. You never say that this is our only customer, right? But it's helpful. And it's helpful because we had a gut feeling that this was the case based on anecdotal stuff like comments that people would leave on Facebook posts, reviews that people leave on our website, emails that we get. So it just confirms some of that stuff for us.
1: Interesting. One of the things that stands out to me the most about your brand is two things. One, you've developed a character that is centered to the brand. And the second thing is you use a lot of humor. Your content's hysterical. I honestly went through the website. I was laughing out loud watching the video of sommeliers comparing your soap to the commercially made soaps. It was was really funny stuff. Talk to me about why you decided to build a character and position the brand around this mythical Dr. Squatch person creature. And why are you focusing on a humorous approach?
2: I think just because it works. I would say that Dr. Squatch at the beginning, like the character... Of him, the drawing did embody some of the values that we wanted to have as a brand. So it's kind of, be, I viewed it as this mythical creature out in nature doing whatever he wants. So maybe it represents some of the wilder side of man. I think that there's definitely something to that. But to take it to like advertising, I don't think that it has to be humor that you work with. But what we identified, especially early last year, was that we were having trouble getting traction on our paid media channels. You know, they were doing kind of like worse than ever. So we're just thinking about like why that was the case. And we were spending a lot of money either internally or on agencies to optimize all this content across you know, Facebook, Instagram, Google, whatever. But we weren't spending a lot of time on producing good content. So we just thought about it really simply. like, What do people, when they're on Facebook, want to experience? They want to be shown something that's actually engaging, that would actually entertain them. So we're just trying to meet them where they're at.
1: So you're building content that is essentially fitting for the platform that you're using as an advertising channel. And obviously, everybody likes having a good laugh. Talk to me about some of the brands that you think are exemplary that are kind of in a similar category that have used similar marketing strategies.
2: There's a lot. And I love being on Facebook and seeing all the ads that I get served. <laughs> some that definitely stand out to me. I mean, I think Dollar Shave Club kind of set the standard for our industry. And then there were some follow-up ones like Dollar Beard Club that have great content I think Chuggies is a great one in the apparel industry. Bird Dogs is a little bit smaller, but also hilarious. And then specifically for us, we looked at not just those types of brands, but we looked at some other brands like Purple Mattress, Poopery.
1: Sorry, did you say Poopery?
2: Yeah, Poopery, Squatty Potty. What, are, what is that? <laughs> poopery is a spray after you go. Okay, I get it.
1: <laughs> Love it.
2: So yeah, these brands built these amazing videos that combined humor, but basically wove that into a story that sold you on their product along the way. So that's exactly what we tried to do with our big video that we made.
1: It's interesting. You mentioned a couple of brands that I probably would have put on the list as well. I think that in terms of creating the playbook, the Dollar Shave Club, launching a very funny viral video and leveraging the growth of YouTube early on. In terms of humor being a marketing strategy and a brand strategy, that stuck out to me. The other one is the Old Spice commercials, which are more commercialized. Uh, There's the guy on the horse. I don't even know how to describe the commercials, but... A very sort of like breaking the third wall set of commercials, talking directly to the customers, which is something that I think you do as well. Those were kind of the brands that stick out to me. How much do you think about what other people are doing as you're building the brand? And are you following a playbook? Or are you just building what you think is going to be funny and what's going to reach your customer and get views?
2: I would say our philosophy has changed a little bit recently on that. I think it's great to be aware of what's going on, but as much as possible, we're trying to move towards what I would call a growth hacking or a lean marketing methodology, where really no idea is bad. We want to list out all the ideas, we want to rank them, and then we want to just execute as fast as possible.
1: It's interesting to me that we've talked about a couple different methodologies. The lean methodology, you were kind of an agile developer in a past life. You followed Tim Ferriss' book, and as we talk about the brand, a lot of what you're doing is built on intuition. As you look back, having built a successfully targeted brand, what do you think the playbook that other marketers should follow? Let's say you're building an extension to the Dr. Squatch brand that's a Mrs. Squatch. What's the first thing that you do?
2: first thing i would want to do is basically say okay what type of woman would want to buy this bar of soap with a hairy creature on it and why i think it
1: brings into question whether you should keep the hairy creature on the (laughs) bar of soap if you're selling it to women
2: exactly and that's why we've never used this brand to sell to them
1: (laughs) well mrs squatch doesn't have to be hairy
2: i think a hairless bigfoot is you're getting into some weird territory there
1: just has to have big feet. (laughs) I told you we were going to have some fun on today's episode. Uh, I understand that you have to reverse engineer and you're thinking about who the customer is that would be interested in this. Let's take a different example. If you weren't specifically just create an extension of your brand, but you wanted to create a new natural female targeting soap brand, give me a sense of how you would approach the problem and what are some of the steps you would take?
2: We talk about who the customer is and reverse engineering that. So I think then the second thing is thinking about why that you should matter in their life, why this is going to be interesting to them. So for me, like I said with Dr. Squatch, it was that small insight that most guys that are out there, not definitely not everybody, but most guys that are out there are not going to ever experience this handmade soap product unless there's a brand like mine that can make it appealing and approachable to them. So that's kind of our little thing that we do well. If I'm selling soap to a female audience, I have to figure out some reason why they should care about me.
1: Essentially, you're looking for points of differentiation.
2: Maybe, but I go deeper than that. I don't ever approach things product first. Like we're going to do this one thing different that makes our company. Because like, who cares? Like, why do they care about that? That's more important to me.
1: Okay. So you're thinking more holistically about where there's a gap in the market, not necessarily a very product specific point of differentiation. Thinking about how you can do something different and what is missing in a specific person's lifestyle. So I feel like we're dancing around the same topic, what I'm calling points of differentiation. It's where is there a gap in the market?
2: I think that my only point was that I like to approach it customer first rather than product first. Here's a good example. So like I've been thinking about getting into CBD because it's a thing everybody's talking about. So Mm -hmm. product focus on CBD. Let's take soap. We already make that. Let's put CBD in it, right? So we've made a new product, but we don't know anything about who we're going to sell that to or why they care about it. Maybe there's a certain type of person that has a skin problem where CBD really helps it. And then now you're getting into something that's like more interesting about why you would put CBD in soap.
1: So as you think about the process, it really sounds like you are specifically trying to take a customer-first process. And to me, this is a little bit of a chicken-or-the-egg problem where... You kind of have to know what the product is to figure out who's going to be interested in it. And you kind of have to know who's going to be interested in it to understand what their problems are. So you are developing a product for you. If you were developing a product for somebody that wasn't you or, or not a market that you were going to fit into, how do you reconcile finding the right person without having the product made or making the product without knowing who the person is? Which one do you go for first?
2: I go person first, customer first. I think one thing that I see as a mistake that people make is I see people constantly trying to chase a different product. Maybe it's trending right now, maybe it's hot, and they spin up a new company or a new brand, they sell it for a little bit and then it, it kind of dies out. And it's just you see a product first focus on that rather than actually understanding who their customer is that they're selling that to and then building a relationship with that person over time.
1: It sounds like your view of the purpose of the brand is you're really communicating what the core value proposition is for a specific audience.
2: Correct. And then I also think it's a way better asset as a business.
1: That's an interesting statement. You think that your brand is a valuable asset as a business. Before we get into the conversation about how you're marketing and targeting specific customers and leveraging the strength of your brand, how do you evaluate your brand as an asset?
2: Well, I look at some of the companies that have sold in my space and what they've done well. And I think brand is a huge part of that. So just understanding what the potential strategic value is there. And I guess you can describe brand as essentially how your customers view you. It's the only way to have like a strategic advantage or protection around, you know, a business I'm selling soap, right? It's a very commoditized product.
1: Okay. I think we covered a lot of ground talking about brands, talking about the strategy for building them. How do you think about your customers first? And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Jack Haldrup, the founder and CEO of Dr. Squatch Soap Company for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Jack is going to tell us about building a brand-centric omni-channel marketing strategy. So if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jack, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Or you could visit his company's website, DrSquatch.com. That's D-R-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshapcom slash question, where you can send us any of your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is BenJShap on Twitter and on LinkedIn. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in our podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Jack Haldrup, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Squatch Soap Company, we've got some great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy
0: thanks for listening to the martech podcast and i hear everything production Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.